Welcome to Ruchika Tulshan to How to Build a Village. Now, Ruchika is a dear old friend and also the author of The Diversity Advantage, Fixing Gender Inequality in the Workplace. And she's also the founder of Candor, an inclusion strategy firm. I am so passionate about more women speaking up as experts, as leaders, as op-ed writers. It has changed my life. If you're the expert behind your desk at your job, why are you not the expert out in the world? It's really important to learn to adjust and expand and contract but to always stay true to your values when you're making a commitment. I am so honored to speak today about one of her and my favorite topics, foods around the world and how you build a community when you move to a new place. So welcome, Ruchika. Jill, thank you so much for having me. And I will always remember um, us meeting at a time in Atlanta when I had moved there and when I felt so lonely and so out of place and just knowing that, you know, Jill was there, we, you know, we met for the first time, you were so warm and I'll never forget that feeling, you know, and I'm, and I'm glad now, you know, next year, I think we'll be friends. It would be a decade by then, which is crazy to think about, but um, thank you for having me. I love that we met. It was like a blind date, wasn't it? Through Katya, another wonderful international friend. And I loved how you were so brave and bold about trying new jobs and going into new neighborhoods and of course, sampling the new restaurants. What would you say is your advice to anyone who's moving to a new country, new city to try to make it feel like home? So, you know, Jill, my number one piece of advice would literally be to try new restaurants, obviously make sure it's safe to do so. But there really is nothing like getting to know a place that you are going to call home. And when you're new and when you're starting to find your feet, there's nothing like trying new restaurants and really just understanding what is the heartbeat of that place. And the way, really the way that you can get that is through trying food. And so I think what I love so much about many, many global cities right now, and especially, you know, for someone like me, I moved from Singapore. So I was born and brought up in Singapore. One of the best places about Singapore is you literally ask people, have you eaten as a way of saying, how are you? So you'll meet someone new and they'll say, you know, have you taken your lunch is, is how you say it here. Or have you taken your dinner or, you know, or like what, like, where did you last eat? Or have you been to this restaurant or have you, have you tried out this local small food stall that everyone knows about, but like, you know, is also a guarded secret. And there's something really magical about that. That is really, I would say what's great about, about coming from a country, which is very diverse, racially diverse, a lot of different cultures, a melting pot really is, is how Singapore has often been described. And that mindset of, of being in a global city, which has such delicious, amazing food and, and really connecting with different cultures over food has been really ingrained in me. And I've thought about that as I've moved to different global cities like New York, like London, like Mumbai, like you really have to seek out what are the locals eating. And without that, I don't think you will ever really get to know a new place. And so how were you able to do that when you came in and you weren't a local, like to Atlanta and Seattle? And, and New York and London and Mumbai at one point. Um, 
Yeah, really the way that I did that is I read voraciously about food. So I would buy food magazines. I would read blogs in Atlanta, actually, one of my, I think, I think she's, I think she's rebranded herself, but um, there was, there was a food writer who had a local, you know, food blog in Atlanta and I would read what she was writing about and just try new places all the time, really try and understand what are the cultures that make up a city. Now, what's, what's interesting is I think of somewhere like Atlanta, which, you know, it has this beautiful, like soulful, culture really you know black Atlanta on one end and then there's white Atlanta on the other and it really does feel to me as an outsider it was very apparent that you know this city has definitely had its legacy of segregation and separate you know and being very separate at the same time what was really amazing as I settled into Atlanta and really started reading and learning and talking to people often I would meet someone new and we'd talk a little bit I'd say I'm new to Atlanta where should I definitely eat and, you know, people give me these amazing suggestions. I think the first time in my life that I really tried and understood Ethiopian food was in Atlanta. And there's a, you know, there is a big Ethiopian community in Atlanta. I tried amazing Korean food. Growing up in Singapore, we don't have a very big Korean community, but but moving to Atlanta, you know, along Beaufort Highway, there were these amazing restaurants. I tried Vietnamese food really for the first time in Atlanta. Again, shocking considering I grew up in Southeast Asia, right? But, um, but really talking to people made me realize like there are all these beautiful microcultures in really any city. And now it's happening everywhere, even in cities like Seattle or um, other cities, which typically haven't had a very big influx of immigrants or other populations, you know, it, until very recently it's still amazing to see how many different types of food exist and how you can really connect with a new place by trying new food. So when you've been in Seattle, what have you discovered? What what cuisines that you hadn't discovered before? Seafood, actually. And the seafood you get in Southeast Asia that I grew up eating is very different than the seafood you get. You know, it really feels like polar opposites in some way, you know, and Singapore, you get spicy and seafood that's really in warm water, right? Like warm water seafood. And in Seattle, you literally get the polar opposite. You get so much of salmon. You get, you know, all these really cool different types of fish. You get things like oysters and mussels and, and clams and things like that, which, you know, I, I really didn't eat much of growing up. And it just, again, really helped me connect with a place. I remember I was fairly new to Seattle. I asked a coworker, what are some good things to do in Seattle? And I remember him saying, oh, you need to drive up to the coast in the summer and you actually need to try the clams and mussels at that time of year because it's really special. It's like a ritual. And I remember doing that. And, you know, I was, I hadn't really eaten clams and mussels. I was actually kind of turned off by them growing up. But I said, you know, my coworker said, this is the way to get to know Seattle. So let's do it. And I remember having this beautiful, spicy, fishy stew with fresh mussels, literally like from, you know, from the shores, like literally where we were sitting, we could overlook where they had been collected from. And that was really quite a special experience. It's so great when the food is so specifically from a place and it's such a great way to evoke pride in a place. When you ask someone where, where should I go? And then I mean, their faces light up and they're so, they're so excited. So I remember in Atlanta, I was taking a cab from the airport and the cab driver asked me where, obviously where I lived. And when he heard I lived off Piedmont in Morningside and I had never been to Fat Matt's, the barbecue joint, he was outraged. What do you mean you live there? And I was 
and you haven't been to this barbecue place. That's the best barbecue place in Atlanta. And I was like, well, I haven't lived here that long. Although I think it had been about two years and it just wasn't on my radar because I never had barbecue really. And after that, I started going all the time. It was a, a, a local favorite and so good. And now I, I find in London, I'm always trying to find the the fried pickles and the the beans with honey, the the sort of uh, unique uh, un- unique Atlanta things that you only grow to love when you when you live there. So what uh, what are your favorite things to eat from New York? What sort of cuisines did you find there? Ooh, wow. And what I loved about eating in New York was it really was emblematic of the time in my life when I lived there. So I lived there in my 20s. It was a very, you know, and this is this is before you and I met, Jill. But, you know, I lived there in my 20s. I was young. I was a student. I really tried to live up. Like, you know, part of it is like the New York of the movies. I was like, oh, I must go to this restaurant because, you know, the Sex and the City movie was shot in this restaurant, you know, and that became one of my favorites. And, you know, dress up and like make up and go. And then the other part of it was, yeah, the joints you would eat, like, you know, after you'd had a night out, you know, where do you go to, to, to fill yourself up after that? So I really remember that being emblematic of New York. And then there was this, again, back to this, you know, these, this melting pot of cultures. I mean, you know, you think of the seven train and you think of like going to Queens, I was reporting from Queens for my, for graduate school in journalism Mm -hmm. And I remember trying for the first time these really authentic, I mean, it was like, whether it was like Salvadorian food, whether it was Peruvian food, whether it was Indian food, but that has also gotten New Yorkized in some way, like this like influence of being of the chefs living in New York for so many years or, or living in Queens for so many years. And that was really special. What my advice to anyone who's sort of moving to a new place is, Definitely go try out those cool restaurants if that's your thing. Definitely do all the things that maybe the gourmet chefs or whatever the, the, the food critics talk about. But I think there's something magical about finding those experiences that really do encapsulate a different side of the place, the less glamorous, the, the less sort of where the high rollers go. And that's really where you get to the heart of a place. Like I'll never forget going to this very authentic Italian restaurant. You know, there was a part of me that was like, was there like a mob movie shot here? Or maybe this was actually maybe when, you know, maybe way back when maybe it was part of like some mob related activity. But I remember my friend Steven was like, we have to go to this place. I don't even remember the name anymore, but I do remember it was somewhere in Queens. And having the lasagna there was just, I mean, it was, it was like something that I had never tried. I had never eaten lasagna like that, even when I had traveled to Italy. And I think that's what's really special about going to new places. What, what was it like? What, what, what made it so wonderful? I mean, you know, obviously extremely cheesy, extremely saucy, extremely extra large, you know, like it really filled up, it really took space. And when when something takes up space, like I feel like that's very New York, right? Like New York is very in your face. Like this mm-hmm. is who I am, you know, take it or leave it. This is how, you know, this is, this is the way that I do things. And I think I remember sitting down and eating this lasagna and really thinking to myself, I was like, you know, so they, you know, there's all these sort of memes about how Americans eat so much and whatever it is portion sizes are so big. That was, that was a bit, bit of a shock when I first moved to the, to the United States. 
New York is different. Like the, the typical Manhattan restaurant is very different, but in Queens, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But I remember really thinking like, wow, this is what it's like to assert yourself. You know, this is what it's like to be like, you want cheese? Well, I'll give you extra cheese. You want sauce? I'll give you extra sauce. Like that's what, that's what this lasagna in some ways, now that I think about it, it really felt like that. When you go to these restaurants and new places or when you did before you were married, did you find yourself spending most of your time with other expats, other international folks, or did you hang out with locals or was it really a mix? You know, New York was one of the places where I really felt like it was a mix because there's something about New York, which I found extremely hospitable. Like, I don't know whether it was, again, it could be symptomatic of the time where I had a lot of time on my hands, where I could go, you know, I could go to a park and really sit there and be there for a while and maybe strike up a conversation with someone new right now as a working mother I can't even imagine what that's like (laughs) you know everything's about a schedule and logistics and you know do I have enough time just to wash my hair so I really I felt very lucky that I really felt like I got a good mix you know and even being in graduate school obviously I met a lot of international folks and that was also special because New York is one of those cities that if you meet other international folks, they too will try and connect. So like I was looking for a Singaporean slash Malaysian restaurant. I found one, it was okay. It wasn't, you know, it didn't feel very, very authentic, but it was fine. It was great when I would then, you know, I like, I'd met someone who, so I became really close to a friend who is uh, British, Black British. And and she, you know, was like, we must go to this Ethiopian place or, or, or whatever it is, or like, we must go try out this, different type of cuisine that I had like never tried before. And so I think that there was something, there's something there in a city that attracts a lot of international folks. You can meet expats too, and they too will probably have their origin stories and they would also be looking for familiar, you know, comforting food. And at the same time, you can also meet people who have been there in the city for a long time and will hopefully also expose you to different experiences. Now, how have you managed to keep in touch with people you've met from all the different places where you've lived? Because you're so good at it. You're so good at keeping tabs on people, staying in touch, remembering. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good question. You know, I think for me at its core, it's my personality. I love people. I love stories. Storytelling is what drew me to journalism. It's actually quite hard for me to talk about myself. I think I've gotten better at it with practice and having to do interviews. But I really feel like I'm the eternal journalist and storyteller um, at heart. And I really like to hear other people's stories. So even when I think about reconnecting with people, again, I think of something will remind me of like a wonderful memory I had with this person. You know, I'll go and I'll eat a certain type of food Or I remember my friend mentioned this book that she was reading way back in the day and now I've picked it up. And I'll, you know, I don't think twice about sending a small little message like, how are you doing? You know, I thought this this thing happened to me and I thought of you or I remember this conversation that we had. Tell me your story. Tell me what you're up to. And it kind of comes really naturally to me. And I will say that one thing that I've gotten better at is probably figuring out like which friends feel that way about me too like they really are excited to reconnect or they too have made an effort to keep in touch over all these years and these places and who are the friends where that connection isn't quite that strong 
I will say my best friend still lives in Singapore. I'll, you know, I, I will say I'm super close to one of my friends from graduate school who is an international photographer who disappears for years on end because she's shooting all these amazing stories for like National Geographic and the New York Times lens and whatnot. And then randomly we'll catch up, like, you know, she'll send me a WhatsApp message or back in the day when I still had Facebook, I don't anymore, but you know, you know, she'd like, she'd say, Hey, Ruchika, what's going on? Or she'd call me Ru. She'd be like, Hey, Ru, what are you, you know, what are you doing? What are you up to? Guess what? Like we haven't spoken in two years, but you know, I'm in New York. I'm in this, in, you know, in a similar time zone to you in Seattle, let's catch up. And it's like the years just melt away. And does that make it easier? How do you handle goodbyes? You know, when you do, um, when you do move from a place, do you find it harder? Does it get easier as the, the moves progress? It never gets easier. It never, it, I still, I still feel really sad every time I say goodbye in Singapore to my friends and family here. I still feel sad thinking about, I lived in Atlanta for only 18 months. And at that time, at that time I was ready to move. I hadn't really, I would say I hadn't really found my groove there. And one of the challenges with Atlanta is a lot of the lifestyle was quite counter to the things that I value. So for me, you know, good public transportation is really important. I don't want to live in a city where I have to drive a lot. I don't enjoy driving. I like to walk a lot. So it was the, the weather was really difficult for me to manage. And I felt like it was hard. It was, it was a place where you know, open spaces weren't really well planned. And you know, there, were, there were other challenges that I, that I found when I lived there. And at the same time, I have deep regrets that I didn't really, I only scratched the surface of this incredible food scene. I remember we were talking about barbecue, Jill, and like, I never really, really tried great barbecue when I lived in Atlanta. What a shame. You know, I tried, you know, I had amazing chicken and waffles. I had amazing brunches. I lived for the brunch life in Atlanta. You think you think people in New York do brunch? I mean, wait till you have an Atlanta brunch, right? And yeah, but at the same time, I always felt like, did I leave too early? Like maybe I should have given it another chance. I miss the diversity of Atlanta in Seattle. I definitely do stick out as a person of color. There are times where my husband and I will go to a restaurant and we're literally back in the day when we used to do that. <laughs> but um, there, you know, there, 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 there have been times where we'll walk into a restaurant and we're like, wow, there are like 80 people here and we are literally the only people of color in this restaurant. Really? And that's, yeah, 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 yeah. In Seattle, that can very much happen to you, okay. which is wild, which is wild, like compared to New York or London, uh, even when we used to go out in Atlanta, San Francisco, other cities and countries that I've visited, it can be stark in Seattle. It can be lonely, you know? That surprises me because it is such an international city. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is and it's not. I mean, it's still very provincial in its own way. It, again, has had a history of segregation and redlining. The neighborhood I live in was 80% Black because that's only where, that was one of the few neighborhoods that Black people could buy homes well into the 70s and 80s. And now, um, you know, because of gentrification, it's, I think it's less than 20% Black, which really does break my heart. What's really fascinating about Seattle is it's, on the one hand, it's this like liberal tech forward, super progressive city is what it's seen as, right? And of course, home to all these billionaires. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, there's still a lot of work to be done. It's great that you live there and do, uh, do the work that you do. I try. 
I try. And, and, you know, again, really thinking about finding a village. I mean, I had a child in Seattle. I had my son in Seattle. In the beginning, it was very lonely because for me, along with finding a village, and I, and I felt like I found a village of friends before I had a child when I lived in Seattle, but trying to find a village of people who understood caregiving and sort of were in the same journey as I was at that time, that was really hard. That was really hard in Seattle, you know, because it is the area where I live is largely young, largely a lot of people don't have children. I think a lot of the ways Seattle was built doesn't feel very family friendly. Like you really have to sort of seek out family friendly neighborhoods, but otherwise, I mean, I had, I was treated so well in London when I used to visit with my son in a stroller or in a, in a restaurant. I mean, people all the time would be like, oh, no, love, like, we're not going to charge you for, you know, his milk or like for some hot chocolate. Absolutely not. Like they would be outraged. And in Seattle, I remember people would look at us like, oh, how annoying, like, is this child going to make a lot of noise in our coffee shop and disturb our peace or whatever it is. So it was a, you know, it's, it, it's interesting seeing how, and by the way, New York, I remember was also really, really great. You know, we took him there when he was one. And I, so I think sometimes what's, what's funny is we have these ideas of these big cosmopolitan cities not being very family friendly. And maybe they're, they're not in the sense like maybe if I lived in New York or London with, you know, with a young child in the center of Manhattan or whatever, it would be really difficult. But at the same time, as a visitor, I remember having distinctly better experiences than when I was in Seattle. Oh, interesting. And you, you do see a city through different eyes when you do have kids and you see just the, the number of playgrounds, which London and, and New York is as well. So many playgrounds that you, may, you wouldn't really be aware of unless you did need them. And it, it's so wonderful to have. And things like in London, I loved having the baby screenings. You could go to the cinema with your with your child and they had the subtitles on the screen and just, you know, activity with with a kid. But it also really endears you to a place, I think, when you have a baby there. I mean, I, I had a son in Atlanta, so I'll always remember it as the start of his life. So I'll always love Atlanta for other reasons too, but, but that's one of them. Um, but I, I do think it's so nice when you move to a place and then you make friends you can keep in touch with. It sort of keeps the memory of that of that city alive. And I think Atlanta, I, I, I always follow news from there. It's improved since we've since we both lived there. I mean, they, they've invested in the Beltline. There's more walking trails. And what's nice is more people moving there want that public transport and walkability. And just in it's it's so interesting to me that how popular the Beltline is and that people drive in the park and then they'll walk on it. But I think more and more like there's it's a selling point, those condos along it, like, hey, you don't have to drive everywhere. And mm. when the city was designed thinking that everyone would want that, it's like, actually, not everyone does. It is. I, I'm with you. I love walking. I'll walk to the grocery store. I mean, that's a selling point yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. In Atlanta, I remember I was in shock the first time I realized like there there was literally no walking path from my house to the nearest grocery store. Like I literally had to walk on the road to be able to do that because nobody ever, I guess, walked it, you know, and I, and I did, I walked on the street to be able to like, you know, and then there was a busy intersection and like the, the sort of wrangling you have to do. I remember I I was in Dallas for a conference in 2019 and I kind of had the same experience where I kind of had a deja vu. It's weird because I left 
Atlanta in 2013 and I haven't been back. But so the closest experience I felt like in terms of a setup of a city, the closest I'd had um, in all those years after that was going to Dallas. And it was the same experience. It was like, why do I have to walk such a long way just across the street? You know what I mean? But I'm I'm excited about Atlanta. I'm really excited about, you know, I think as, and especially Atlanta is a really important example of as we sort of work towards building a more equitable and inclusive society, as we work to be more anti-racist, I actually think cities like Atlanta will grow and prosper, not only because people are moving there, but because I think that there was such, there's such a potential of people there that for long have been oppressed and sort of left out of the decision-making. And I see that now when I think back to Atlanta as a journalist and as I, I was a business reporter in Atlanta in the time I was there. And when I think back to those days compared with what's going on right now, it's really great to see the progress. And yeah, an amazing story out of the past now, the the last election and just um, because you think about it, public transport enables people to change their economic station, doesn't it? I mean, you cars are expensive. I mean, growing up in New York, we we had like a for many years we didn't even have a car because you didn't need it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that you need a family needs one or two or more cars is you know really uh, can really drain the finances. So no, public transport's great on many on many levels. And and totally. Do you have any book recommendations, any foodie book recommendations you'd like oh, to share? To put oh my goodness. Ah, uh, wow. Well, I really like cookbooks. I love uh, going through cookbooks. So uh, recently my friend, Ikin, so I have a very dear friend who's Turkish in Seattle. And if, if I, although she's, she's now, you know, back home in Istanbul and sort of being in lockdown in quarantine in Istanbul, but Ikin is an incredible, she's a, she's, you know, she's a director of a really great program at the, at, at uh, the University of Washington. So she's, you know, she's like a PhD holder. And in her spare time, she used to do these incredible meals, you know, and that's really like food and love on, you know, on a table. She's also lived in a lot of the cosmopolitan cities that I have. So, you know, New York and London, and we moved to, Seattle in the same year and sort of again had a lot of those conversations about how in Seattle it really you know because I think the city is largely quite you know there's it's it's quite people are quite passive aggressive like people people aren't very they're very much like this is my bubble and this is who I hang out with and we talked about how we miss the serendipity of living in cities like for her for stunt for her it's Istanbul for me Singapore and how there's a real serendipity, you know, people would gather in public places, they would hang out, you would kind of have this culture of where if you go to Hawker Center in Singapore, you are going to sit side by side with so many different people, right? And Istanbul also has their sort of versions of that and street food. And there's nothing like that in Seattle. And sometimes that serendipity of meeting someone new, of having this great conversation about food, of really getting to know locals you know, because local people want to sort of invite you in, that's missing in Seattle. So her and I really talked about how we could do that. And so I digress because I think of Akin because she just gave me this wonderful book called BB's Kitchen. And it's about mm-hmm. B-I-B-I, BB's Kitchen. And it's really about, uh, I think it covered seven or nine countries that are in the Indian Ocean. And so some food from Somalia, from Kenya, from South Africa, 
and really centered sort of the grandmothers, the babies, you know, and their recipes. So that was really inspirational. I was just flipping through it last week and I was like, oh my gosh, date bread sounds delicious. And these different preparations of chicken and lamb. My go-to sort of Indian innovative Indian cooking is this book called Rasika, and I've given it away a lot, a lot too. I wish there were some women part of it too. It's written by two men that own and are the owner and the chef of this excellent restaurant in Washington, D.C. called Rasika. Um, I go every time I'm there and it's to me is it's really one of the most innovative sort of takes on Indian food in the way that it is Indian food and it's recognizable Indian food, right? You're not going to get some like foam or <laughs> some clouds or something like that in your food. <laughs> and at the same time, you know, it's really fresh takes on, you know, wholesome Indian food. So Rasika has a cookbook, which I love. And I re- so it's R-A-S-I-K. Netflix, I think Samin Nosrat is just incredible. She also had an amazing podcast um, about cooking in quarantine with Hrishikesh uh, Purji and just listening to her stories and what she was cooking. And I think that's, I mean, that's, that's, this is what's so amazing about food, right? Like it really, really gives you a way to connect in a way that I think nothing else does. It's super accessible. It's one of the ways that you can really break barriers. And so sometimes something I sort of struggle with is when I meet people who say, oh, I would never try a different food or, oh, make sure it's not too spicy. I remember there was this, um, I think it was a, was it in, in Salon or something like that where, or Slate where, you know, it was, I think I think the Collins called like am I the asshole or something but it, but somebody was like you know I was really upset my my son my child went over to these Indian people's homes and their doctors but they gave my child such spicy food and I'm really upset and like you know should I be saying something and am I the asshole and I remember reading that and just feeling really sad that um, there are people out there who will you know live their whole lives not being able to appreciate other cultures and other foods. And one of, one of the best experiences I've had, and this is, you know, I long for it, especially now that we're in extended sort of quarantine, but um, I was visiting Hoi An, which is in Vietnam, a very, you know, it's a very touristy area. A lot of tourists go there. And when we were planning the trip, it was just my husband and I in 2019 when I looked at it, I said, you know, we can either walk around and I know we're just going to, you know, go to like a bar or something that like all the expats go to and visitors go to, or let's book a food tour. And we booked a food tour and it was just, you know, and it was the, not only was the food incredible, but the stories. I mean, we met a couple who were in there. I think they were 104 and like 102 and they'd been married all these years and they made this beautiful like black sesame pudding and it was just magical you know seeing them they were sitting there and they were literally making it by hand wow. and it was like we wouldn't and it was tucked away in a little corner of Hoi An which again if for people who travel a lot you know a lot of people think of it as like oh it's a cool city by the water and like we'll just go and hang out but to be able to see, you know, really a, the, the heart and soul of a place like that, that is very widely or used to be very widely visited is there's something magical about that. 
Oh, what an amazing idea. Well, thank you so much for sharing. That is so, gosh, making me hungry. I know I'm hungry now. And uh, I'm sorry that I, you know, went on and on, but this is like, the, if I think about probably the thing that I, it'll always, I'll always want to do it because it feels a little bit like out of reach, like something that I want to do. And that is, you know, have a career around food somehow, whether that's, you know, being a food critic or, or something of like that, or whether it's sometimes I'm like, I should just set up my own Instagram, you know, like Ruchika's, what Ruchika's eating or something like that. But sometimes I'm just like, you know, maybe, maybe this, maybe the special thing about it at a time where so much of food has become commercialized and sort of mm. check me out, taking my selfie with this, you know, special donut cronut thing that has, <laughs> you know, that everyone's talking about. Maybe the thing that's special is having private memories and moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like a way to connect. Um, well, thanks so much for sharing. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can find out more about Ruchika at rtulshian.com. That's R-T-U-L-S-H-Y-A-N.com. Thanks for listening.